0: doordash is your door to more must be over 21 to order alcohol alcohol available only in select markets doordash your door to more download the doordash app now to get almost anything delivered
1: love is what builds a leader
0: you know what i mean because you i gen- love the people
1: yeah, I, I genuinely love all my wu-tang brothers
0: Welcome to Torrey Show, where I talk to incredible people about success. I want to know why did you make it? What are your superpowers? How did you deal with failure? What tactics and talents and attitudes made the difference for them? From all that, maybe you can get a little more fuel for your journey to success. This week's guest is one of the most successful men in hip-hop history, the RZA, the leader and founder of the mighty Wu-Tang Clan, which some think of as the greatest group in hip-hop history. The RZA came from nothing, and now he's a legendary producer, a great rapper, a Hollywood actor. I was dying to know how the RZA did it and what mindsets got him there. I've known him a while and we always have a great vibe, so we were able to get really deep about his life. He talks about going through a trial for attempted murder when he was 19 and how he changed after that. My mother looked me in my eye
1: and gave me that mother deep piercing look and said, boy, this is your second chance. You know, and her eyes was watery. She told me, don't mess this up. And you know what? i refused to let her down again.
0: He talked about leading the woo.
1: No general is a general if he's not willing to fight. And you know, a general who sits up and just send people to war or send the missiles, you know, that's one way. But the ones that got the most strength throughout history, you know, and even Alexander the Great, who was one of the first conquerors we read about, he was in the, on the battlefield with that, yo he char- He's charging with the army And I'm the type of guy that charges with my army as well
0: And of course We talked about chess
1: Bobby Fischer his, his attacking prowess was incredible But when you go back And study some of those games You see that there was flaws in him So how was he able to win with a flaw in his movement? Because his determination was stronger His will to win was stronger than the Better opponent in some case You know what I mean? And, and so therefore the energy of the person can sway the energy of the pieces.
0: I'm excited for you to hear this conversation. The Rizza has amassed a lot of wisdom and I learned a lot talking to him. He refocused me and I hope this conversation helps you get a little inspiration to help propel your future. Just take me back to growing up and how you learned how to make music. Well, I'm not um, trained
1: you know, I wasn't classically trained in music, as far as class and going to school and things of that nature. I grew up in a hip hop era, where our turntables became our instruments, and uh, a four track machine. I mean, I go back that far. You know what I mean? And we would just loop parts of the songs. A DJ would, you know, break it, you know, find that break beat in the song, and just scratch it back and forth. And you know, you make tapes that way. Uh, when they developed the sampler. The digital sampler, which is an instrument, but hasn't really been accepted as an instrument to me in the right. industry in the sense because it's made to sample, right? So anyway, I used it to sample sample parts of songs that I liked, and I would mesh those things together before they was called uh, mashups. <laughs> and and you know, I, for me, it was all about the sound of something. It was all about what the sound invoked. How so, old are
0: you when you're starting these experiments?
1: Um, I'm DJing as early as 11, and um, but I've been I've been writing lyrics since nine years old. But when, when I got a hold of a, a turntable and a mixer, that led me to continuously have a, like a geek out for electronic equipment. So I sold newspapers on the Verrazano Bridge. We make probably about 15 bucks a day. You know what I mean? End of the week, you know, may have 90 bucks. Uh, on the weekends, ODB would join me.
0: Uh, certain members of the Woo spent their time on there. My boy Power. From, when, you, uh, uh, when you spoke to Dirty at that time, what did you call him? What was his name then? Oh, uh, at that time, uh, his name was Rusty.
1: Rusty, <laughs> right, because his name was Russell. Yeah, right? might so, call
0: him Rusty. Okay. You know what I mean? So you and Rusty on
1: the Verrazano Bridge selling yep. papers. That's yep. what's up. And, um, Hustling. Hustling. You know, my brother Devon was there as well. I mean, it's one of the things that no disrespect even my mom's got out there some days because that was the hustle that was the the way to feed the family.
0: Well, did you you didn't only have or did you only have legal hustles or did you also have illegal hustles? I didn't
1: get I didn't get into illegal hustles until, you know, late teenage years, you know, something that uh you no know, I guess it's known now everything is known about people. But my, my older brother Divine, you know, he kind of moved with that crowd and uh he had gotten deeply involved with the street hustle and then he got locked up for it and uh um left me in the streets you know by this time you know probably 19 years old now uh music wasn't going right and decided to pick up where he left off at for a little bit and street hustling to me wasn't wasn't my calling but being a, a a guy that had uh Always had what others would say, they call me the abbot because I have a leadership type of mentality. So I was always able to get a group of people together for a common cause and to go.
0: Well, I'm curious about that because there's a lot of dudes, not a lot, but there are several dudes who are great producers. But what separates you, I think, from all of them is you also have that leadership thing that you talked about. You you form you know all these men into a crew and they moved like Voltron like one and that made Wu Tang so powerful from day one. So just talk about the development of the ability to lead men in you. Like where did that come from? Well, I think first thing you got to have
1: is a common denominator with the people you are leading. Forced leadership doesn't work. So I wasn't f- like. I didn't force or impose myself like, yo, I'm the boss. I'm the leader. No, it was uh, it was actually recognized that, you know, amongst my team, this is the man. This is the smartest dude right here. This is the dude that he's never broke his word. He would walk 10 miles to come get something for you. And when a fight broke out, he never ran. If he saw you in another neighborhood and he was there and you had beef with the other dudes, he, he would join you in your beef, you know. The qualities of honor, I think, is in was in me. It's in me, uh, and I think my brothers saw that. And as well as you know, being, uh, um, I'm, all, I'm all also very hip. Like I'm a type of dude. Whether it's from reading, from traveling to the Bronx, Long Island. Like I traveled all over, uh, you know, New York, Philly, Tri-State area, even in my teens. I just was one of those dudes. I'd get on the Long Island Expressway and go to Anneryville and spend three days out there because I had a cousin or a girl out there. You know what I mean? we will go down south and spend the summer with cousins and family. So all that traveling, which I think is important for any man, especially if you come coming from the hood, you got to travel. You got to see more. And so from the things I saw, then you bring it back home. That experience, I think, allowed my other brothers, who are also leaders. One thing i like to admit and point out is that my crew, the Wu Tang, which I came in the game with, was all like cool top dudes in their circle. It's just that uh, it's just that I was the common denominator of all of them, and each one of them would agree that yo, I'm
0: one of this, but that's my man right here. This this dude is the one. And and you established that just. The way you were Just just the daily interaction And again you said Not sort of saying Okay I'm the leader I'm gonna But just the daily interactions With each of these men Established A sense of like He's honorable He's responsible He's down for me I can trust him He's smart Right Not trying to Let people think I should be the leader But just Yeah One thing I think Being
1: good to people Yeah the best leadership quality You know Is a person who Been through it you know, a person who lived it, who understands it, and therefore, it's like why would you have a somebody in your corner in a boxing fight if, if if the guy in the corner is not a boxer? How can how can you know how can you trust uh, someone to take you somewhere if they haven't been there? And I think that quality uh, was recognized. We have a we have a slogan we say uh, is that everybody is good but it's always one amongst you who is the best noah and we used to use that term best because Noah, noah yeah and even you could say noah from the bible like noah in his time when there was the great flood noah was the dude that knew listen guys it's going to rain <laughs> Man, some people thought he was crazy some people you know they said noah preached for hundreds of years and people wasn't trying to catch up to him but those who did catch up to him though those who did bear witness to his words according to the story they was allowed to get inside that ark
0: and travel on to a better world, better life. I mean, you know, the let's talk about the man of leading the woo in particular, because these are alpha men, mm-hmm. street men, you know, I mean. I mean, I always wonder, you know, if you have like a—not that you guys are a criminal syndicate, but if you have a criminal syndicate, how do you stay on top of that? Because, you know, all the guys are tough and smart and trying to get on top. All the brothers in the Wu were smart and tough, could have been solo, what have you. So, Alpha—
1: But, so, so, Troy, even, even in that arena of Alphas, right, let's just use, let's use the godfather— and, you know, Tony Montana, those characters who was very prevalent in our cinema growing up. And if you look at, you know, Michael Corleone, you know, he was a a great leader. Yeah. No doubt. Uh, What made him a leader? He had military training, even though his father didn't want him to enter that arena. And when the time came that it was nobody else to perform a certain job, he went and did that, which was shooting down the, the cop And the criminal Right Which is You don't do that And here goes a guy That does it And when he becomes The leader of that family They know that Yo this guy is a guy That will do it You know He's smart uh, He's focused But at the same time He's willing to be a soldier When necessary No general Is a general If he's not willing to fight And you know A general who sits up And just send people To war Or send the missiles You know That's one way but the ones that got the most strength throughout history, you know, and even Alexander the Great, who was one of the first conquerors we read about, he was in the, on the battlefield with that, yo. <laughs> he char- he's charging with the army. And I'm the type of guy that charges with my army as well. You know what I mean? And I think that kind of respect, uh, you know, you look at the wolf, for instance, we all came in, lyric- lyrical MCs, you know, I'm a lyricist as well. It wasn't like I was a slouch, you know what I mean? No doubt. Um, it's more like, yo... He's dangerous I'm dangerous He was as dangerous on the mic I think you are the best Producer MC well, Ever I, t- I respect that Thank you But when you look at my peers It's like oh You know they, they know that If they not there The base is covered But at the same time I don't have to MC I could Leave that quality to them Which you'll notice in the earlier music That was left to them And I was able to produce And bring out the best of them Or at the same time I'm able to walk in Because I'm a, I'm a studious man I think studious is something that we can't, We got to get back to, uh, you know, in our community. And I mean our community. I mean the whole American community. Uh, you know, put that time into studying a craft uh, because the, the input we put in is going to bring out the output. It's going to actually multiply the output.
0: I saw a book once called um, Leaders Eat Last. And, you know, I know, like, when I was in situations with, like, you know, a group of people who may or may not want to accept my leadership, if I make a direction and I put myself last in line, like, I'll eat last, y'all eat first, or you go ahead of me, then people are more likely to accept. Is that something that you dealt with, too? Yeah, that's, a, that's actually a very smart uh, quote and a, probably a
1: great book, but that's true. I mean, it's like, the, it's like your parents. You know, I watched my mother many days not eat so that the children could eat. And maybe that's part of my personality as well. You know, coming up with a single mother for most of my life, uh, my, you know, my pops had left us and my step-pops was locked up. So my mother had many single years with a house full of kids. And it was days when it was like, yo, she gave me that piece of chicken so that, you know, so I could be full. And she just went, didn't eat. I, I, I rarely saw my mom's eat, you know what I mean? Wow. Um, and uh, so a leader should have that quality. Marcus Garvey... Uh, I think one of the greatest leaders for the black community, one of the first ones to inspire us to recognize our noble adequacy, uh, our uprightness of manlihood. You know, what I mean, to come out of our, uh, you know, our downtrodden personalities we have accumulated over the hundreds of years of being removed from our culture. He was a man, according to historians, that he would also eat last and when he ate he ate a simple bowl of rice and a simple piece of meat like he had a very simple diet he lived in a simple apartment even though he was controlling millions of dollars so he didn't he, so he wasn't doing it for the economical reasons he was doing it because he he, he led by example and he when he didn't have that self greed i think when you don't have self greed that mm. makes a strong leader
0: as well mm, self greed allows you to be a leader self not having self-greed right right not having self-greed allows you to be a leader so um part of what we talk about on the show is you know when people were in difficult moments of their lives and how they dealt with it how they exploded out of it and you had a difficult moment you had an attempted murder charge as a young man didn't know if you were which way the jury was going to go and when the jury said not guilty you know You were very happy. Your mom was very happy, happy. (laughs) and your mom said, "Okay, now you have second chance at life." Yes. So, talk about being in that low, stressful, difficult moment, and then what you did and what you said to yourself to say, "Okay, I'm going to take this low moment and try to explode upward from here."
1: Well, the first thing uh, is is, I, I could I could explain it so many different ways, but let me give you something that the Holy Quran teaches us. It says one of man's biggest sin is heedlessness. He doesn't take heed. He don't see the signs around him. And my mother, who I love and respect, you know, when the first time she found the gun in my house, she got a one of those hammers with the axe on the other side of it and chopped it up and 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 basically kicked me out. I was 16, I was 15 going on 16 years old. And it actually broke my heart because I never wanted to disappoint my mother. And I think most of us don't want to disappoint our moms. No so I was really hurt that she looked at me as something that was not what she had brought into this world. And I ended up rekindling that flame over a few years of, uh, of, of, fi- of trying to be a good son. But, of course, the streets kept calling. You know what I mean? And I kept finding myself back and forth in these situations. And when I finally got the, the worst situation, which was this this trial where i was facing you no know, eight years of my life to go in three years mandatory because of the gun spec and uh and i had got a a girl pregnant at the same time i i, I knew that i was i'm i'm a lot going on i messed up yeah i could i could curse yeah, oh, yeah. i fucked up <laughs> i was i fucked up and 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 i was blessed you know, with with a good lawyer, my family pulled together for me. My sister took a life savings and bailed me out and wow. picked the money up for the lawyer. And we was able to win that case. You know, I definitely stopped getting high, I left drugs alone, didn't smoke weed Didn't drink. Uh, you made a pledge to yourself
0: like, OK, I, now I have to change. Yeah,
1: I knew that I was I was gone. I was zonked out. One thing we don't recognize. I want to say this to young people that, that listen to you. To your podcast is that we don't recognize the the alteration of our our ideas that's caused by drugs, mm. whether it's weed, alcohol, ecstasy, uh, S- 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 Molly, whatever they're taking these days. They popping all kind of pills now. We don't recognize that the the decisions you make in that state feel very logical in that state, but mm. may not in the long term be the proper equation or the proper answer. Mm-hmm. So so I was always you know smoking and drinking and, and chasing sex and all those things, which, you know, what you do you're young, right? Right. But I definitely was blessed with a chance to sober up. I found myself in the law library reading and studying my own situation. When I sat there, I was only locked in the jail for like 35 days before my sister, uh, you know, was compassionate enough to, to give me her life savings to bail me out. That was not an easy thing for her, you know. She probably worked like seven years to save up 10 grand. That's how tough it was in those days, right? Wow. But she did it. And uh, in those, in, those, in that cell, I had a, a lot of time to think, yo. You know, don't, and it's like some guys, they take them two years to think. And, you know, right. Leave me in there for 30 days is all I need to be in jail. One day... Right. I don't need to be in jail right. ten years trying to figure it out and come back and go back. Right. I don't need that lesson. <laughs> I was able to understand the foolishness of myself, to accept my own foolishness, even though I may have felt the day I did it, I felt the aggression, I felt the energy, I felt the defense I had to you know, I had to self defend myself. But there's other ways to self defend yourself. Uh, you know, Bruce Lee, one of the greatest martial artists of all time, one of the greatest fighters. He said the first thing he'd do is run. <laughs> no, nobody wants to run, all oh, you no, go ahead and run, kid. Let the anger wear down. But anyway,
0: <laughs> I went through it and I was uh, what you think when you were in the cell thinking, talking to yourself, I mean I'm fascinated that, you know, you're at this very low moment, lots of stress, lots going on, and in retrospect you used this moment and all that was going wrong to propel you upwards. So how did what did you think about and make the be, to be able to make the decisions that well, propelled you up. Well, two things,
1: Tori. One is I didn't see myself as a criminal. I didn't see myself as a guy who belonged there. That's the first thing I gotta share with you. And the second thing is is I always felt in my heart that I was destined for greatness, but I but I had to be myself. I took a time and I did this. I did this a few times in my life. Even recently, I had to do this a couple of years ago. Just, you know, but we'll talk about that another time. But I had to remember the kid that I was. I had to take a look at who was this nine-year-old kid who never had a drink, never smoked a joint, never had sex, right? Good dude, good kid that goes to the store for grandma, that cleans, the, sweeps the floor, that's that's... You know, hi, Mr. Johnson. Hi, Mr. Jack. You know, who where's that kid at? What buried that kid? Yes, mama. No, ma'am. No, sir. What buried that kid? And I went back to talk to that kid. You know what I mean? And I do that now, and that's like a, I make sure I try to get back
0: to that kid. Back to that nine-year-old.
1: Yeah, that kid with that smile. Then when you see that smile, ah, oh, let him in. You love that kid. Why? Because he's pure still. It's the privity that we lose over time, uh, whether it's our environment, whether it's your food. If we eat monosodium, glutamate, polysorbate, uh, calcium phosphate, monoglyceride, sodium nitrates, you put know all those mi- molecular poisons in your body, you're already changing. Then you throw some cannabis, some THC in that, you know what I mean? You want to throw in some, some cocaine and alcohol. <laughs> um, some alcohol in that, you, you, you're, you're changing yourself so I was able to look back on myself but the beautiful thing for me you know when I got out was my mother looked me in my eye and gave me that mother deep piercing look and said boy this is your second chance you know and her eyes was watery she told me don't mess this up and you know what I refused to let her down again and I didn't mess it
0: up and uh it was yeah. that direction from mom that really like? Because you were already working toward that. I was
1: working towards it, but
0: she gave
1: like the win. You know, I think a man, um, should always strive in the cause of love. You know, Jesus, Jesus is a great man who gave it to us best. You know, he told us that love was the way. Love is the power, right? And and if you can't love nothing, he told you love God. You know what I mean? Um, so the love of something is a very driving force. Even to take a teenager who's in love with a girl that would, you know, go to a mile, travel miles to see her, or you know, the the, the the military guy who's in love with his wife that can't wait to to get home from the battlefield to get home to his wife. You know, Helen of Troy caused the whole army to, to make a move because of the love her husband had for this love power. The love of my mother to have her proud of me and 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 also knowing i had a baby you know on the way and i actually fell in love with my she's not my ex-wife but i fell in love with her at the same time like i i found love also and i got to put that out to 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 the world that it's an important motivating factor you know whether it's the love of your child the love of your brother the love of your country you know what i mean you know the the the, the at least the love of god if you can't find nothing all right And that motivating power can propel you. And that motivating power in me to, to, to please my moms drove me for years. I mean, and I never hung all my gold records and my platinum albums and any award I had was at my mother's house. Wow. I bought her a big home and put these things up on the wall. And she had a chance to see her dream come true through her son. You know what I mean? She left us, you know what I mean? And that was a big change in my life. You'll notice a big change in my life around that time if you if you ever read my book. But um, that's the governing factor. And I think a lo- love is what builds a leader. You know what I mean? Because I you gen- love the people. Yeah, I, I genuinely love all my Wu-Tang brothers.
0: I, I, I think we can tell that. Yeah,
1: it's that genuine.
0: It's like I'm not, we're not going to tongue kiss. You know what i no, it's <laughs> deeper than that. Yeah, exactly. I saw something you said where um, recently you were trying to make some music and you couldn't get all the brothers to do it. And the interviewer said, Well, why don't you just do it with the brothers who are there? And you said, No, we are a group. We are one mind. It's not like, well, meth and ghosts are the big ones. We'll do. No, everybody matters equally. Yeah. And when you have that kind of love for the entire group, I could see they're gonna reciprocate. Yeah, and that's a blessing. And whether and one thing about love, whether
1: it's reciprocated or not, it's unconditional. So you just you like don't worry about being loved you know what i mean accept it when it comes but just just
0: emit it like the sun don't the sun just shines baby <laughs> you know what i mean um the last time we talked we got real deep about um dirty and uh, old dirty bastard and um you know you 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 have a lot of thoughts on on his end and you know it, 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 there's really nothing different that you could have done is there
1: no, i wouldn't say that i wouldn't say that to be honest with you and i i'll put that challenge to any man out there in the world that ever that every life like look there's definitely an exit door we know that right <laughs> now you'll see some dude two thousand years old running around here talking to you but at the same time that exit time. I don't think the time of exit is mandatory. You know what I mean? I think the energy that's contained within the body will e- eventually expire just like anything. Like a light bulb will burn out. But the light bulb lasts longer when the when you kind of just leave it on, right? If you flicker it, like play with it, it might burn out in right. quicker time. You might just blow a fuse or right. something. You see what I mean? And you can blow a fuse. And I, I think that in the case of a son, uh, he blew a fuse, but we could have avoided it. I do think we could something we could have done because I think it was part of
0: our negligence. You know what I mean? I mean, I remember you talking about and maybe you could talk about it a little bit about, you know, him making you watch him do the crack yeah. with his son. Yeah. What was it like a day or two before he passed? It was he passed the next he passed within the, 12 hours of that I mean talk about that and what happened there
1: well I want to get too deep into that right because it's it's so it's emotionally touching and um you know but I just want to point it out because it ain't just him you know you know we just lost I mean that's for my loss and I know I'm here talking but it's this thing about somebody like Prince yeah nobody in your family you know everybody who depends on you for their economics for their even validation when you have a celebrity in your family, you become the validation of that family. For some of us, it's the validation of our community, our neighborhood, yeah. our race, <laughs> yeah, your, your city, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Hip hop, everything. Yeah. So, 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 that means that if we're validation for you, and we're that source, then you got to give us that love and energy too. You got to protect us. Uh, it's it's sort of like, why do the people worship the false image of God? You know what I mean? That takes that, you know, that stops God from thinking about you. You ain't thinking about me. I ain't thinking mm, about you. Mm. Right. But in a case like this, when when your family and your people are seeing you going through a struggle, you know, they should, you know, have enough strength, love and courage to to warn you, to give you that warning. You know, what I mean, to say, yo, kid, no, don't do that. Stop that. 'Cause you know, we have this theory around in my hood, you go, he's a grown man, you can do what he wants. No, you can't do what he wants. That's one of the biggest issues of uh, American freedom is that it comes with a it comes with a big default clause, which is yeah, you're free to jump off the roof. But guess what? There's a thing called justice where you may die, the cause and the effect. And I think that um with 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 a lot of us, we we let the people we know and love, and people that's in powerful positions, we let them do what they do uh, without checking them and and pulling their coattail and and stopping them. And if we if you so if dirty would have been stopped, and any anybody who went through that path, right? If 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 if, if the other dude didn't take the extra needle, he didn't, if, if 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 Hoffman didn't go into that hotel room that night with the extra, you know, the extra drugs or whatever. You know the drug dealer himself, like Richard Pryor once said, "The drug dealer stopped; they didn't want to sell me no more." <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, know that, what I
0: mean? I like, no, that's man, a good the drug dealer's like, damn. That's a,
1: that's a good drug dealer though. He's like, you know what, man?
0: Richard talking about, let me get a key, but yet, for yet, the weekend.
1: Yeah, but like you see the dude in uh in the Temptations when David Ruffin, not only did they sell him more, they took his car. They they didn't care. That noncompassion and is, is, and that neglect is to me takes us out early and i think dirt would have had more time with us if not only myself all the other cousins in my family the, the his wife uh the, the the Wu brothers we all know that like deck said it best uh expected Dex said it best in the song we made called i go through a uh, time called time changes he said uh shoulda could have should have helped you but i was selfish lord you know what I'm saying? Saying that, you know, worrying about my own self and all the things I'm going through, I didn't take the time to hear your cry. And I think we should take the time to hear each other's cry, especially when it's somebody who we love and somebody who is important to our
0: community. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door, thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. one of the things that I love about you is, despite all the knowledge and wisdom, you maintain the humility to want to keep learning and keep putting yourself in the student role to get more. I mean, all the years of crushing it in the music business. And then you say, now let me learn the guitar. Right? Like you know, like, why would you go back when you're like the master of the studio and, you know, you're working on your second film, to go into film, scoring, and then directing, you had to humble yourself to be a student. So just talk about how you get into that mode or stay in that mode of, of, I know all this, I've succeeded at all this, but I'm still willing to humble myself and be a student again.
1: One of the most important goals of human life, whether it's as a collective or as an individual, is evolution. To evolve, growth exactly, and so I'm evolving, and I'm and I'm conscious of it, and so therefore I know that um, in order for me to exist in the habitat, let's just say, I have to adapt, f- learn adaptation, I have to learn assimilation, you know what I mean? I have to learn what is part of that uh, society, culture, job function. That I'm entering, you know, I got to learn to be a part of it, or don't go there. You know what I mean? I'm a vegetarian, okay. Are you a vegetarian or vegan? But, vegan, which is even more. I, yeah, even, even more, further, even more. But in order for me to be that, right? let's say I go a place where all they serve is meat. What I'm gonna, what am I gonna do? Am I gonna eat the meat or learn, learn something that's gonna keep sustain me without having to eat that meat? You know what I mean? How long have you been vegan? Uh, It was a growth from, uh, it took a growth from, I think I started, my last piece of fish was 1997.
0: (laughs) And when was your last piece of meat?
1: My last piece of red meat was 1995. Yeah. After Cuban links, after liquid sports, after those turkey burgers. We had I had a party. We party. I probably ate a thousand turkey burgers making liquid swords, man. Me and a turkey burgers and chess. And Jerry,
0: I, I want to talk about. I want to talk about chess.
1: But you got to, But toya, we have to. Uh, um, they say a good Papa Wu used to say this. He said a good listener is a great learner. Right. So you got to listen to learn. And uh, and there's a martial art quote that says the best master always remains a student. Mm. But there's always something to learn. And I took that quote from Marshall Art and I applied that to my life.
0: So so let's talk about moving into Hollywood. You you got this friendship with Quentin Tarantino. What did he tell you that has helped you as a director? What were his core lessons to you? His 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 style of of, of you know, he had various ways that I've learned from
1: him. One of the biggest ways was, you know, watching movies to consume a lot of film. You know what I mean, if you're gonna be in the film business, you better know film. If you're gonna be in the music business, you better know music. If you're gonna be in the steel mill, you better know still. You better know your craft. Uh he has a great collection of books, you know, I had access to you know, to his home and his library at previous times. But uh, you know, his 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 he exposed me to things I wouldn't have been exposed to. And and one thing he had, did help me out a lot with in Hollywood is that if I got to a point where I didn't know which way to turn, you know, I'd simply ask him, hey, kill, what do you think I, what you think I, do I do that? I mean, whether it was something social, something creative, you know what I mean? Or something that could have been a wild Hollywood night. How, you know, how, how far do I take things and still be able to wake up in the morning and be part of a work in society because I'm not here to be a mascot for it you know what I mean I was I was there to learn and to be something but one thing he definitely said to me that was vitally important and this is a I don't know if I shared this before but one of a real good dude of mine's, good you know student of mine and brother of mine's, had got killed shot down and uh it was real touching because I was really in the middle of helping him. I just kind of got him back on his feet, got him an apartment, and got him in the studio. I really was trying to lead him down the right direction. And then, you know, he, I don't know, you know, he kind of, you know, drugs always, <laughs> drugs is, 80% of deaths, some way a drug is involved, right? Yeah. But anyway, I guess, you know, he couldn't leave, leave, it, leave it alone, and he, he went to go get what he went to get, it and it turned out to be a night that he, they took him out, right? And I was so moved by it in an angry way that when they came and told me, I was like, I was ready to arm up and be part of some shit that, some kid shit at the end of the day. This
0: is a couple years ago.
1: Yeah, this is, this is, um, not a couple of years ago, but this is definitely, you know, I'm already me. It's way. This way. It's past 2000. I want to identify this this of this course. incident. You know what I mean? But uh, bottom line is, um, me me and Quentin had something we had to do uh, that morning. I get the call like 4 a.m. So I'm like, man, I don't really want to go. I want. I'm kind of in this this retaliation mode. But uh, I said, I ain't going to, you know, I said, I'll be there. I'm a type of dude. If I say I'll be there, I'll be there. So I so I went to see Quentin first, and my plan was to just go there and say, yo, I'm not going to really roll today. I just want to come personally and tell you, and I'm a, I am ai got something I got to handle. And uh, he said, what do you mean you got something? You, I, said, I said, I got something I got to handle. What do you mean you got something you got to handle, Bobby? We, were, we planned this like six weeks ago. This is, you know, come on, have a drink. Let's talk about it. <laughs> so we have a drink. We talk about it. And I kind of gave him a, a – a safe way of describing my situation. And he pointed this out. He said, look, man, you are in a position to pull people up from your community. Mm-hmm. I mean, that I means you get to reach down and pull people up. Not a lot of people is in that position. But as soon as somebody pulls you down, there's nobody up. Mm. And so you got to know when to let go of something because you're in that position of pulling up. And I'm listening like, this dude just, when he said it to me, it actually stuck like glue and that and I kind of keep that in my heart a lot because uh he's absolutely he's absolutely right that goes for any one of us who 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 make it out of a hole you are able to look around and see what's up there and you could be like okay I'm for somebody up. I I got to let you go because only I only I could pull up from the hole you too heavy send up the little one <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> And uh, that lesson uh, was, you know, really stuck with me and and has
0: helped me for multiple years, you know, in certain situations. That's an amazing story. You know, movie directing is really, really difficult job. And I think part of the challenge is you're really using both sides of your brain, that you got to talk to the actors and their artistic, poetic journey and their craft. But then you also got to talk to the technical camera lighting guys in the in the technical scientific way you also got to deal with the the producers and the studio and the financial stuff so you're dealing with just all these different parts of the mind at the same time and i think you maybe you were prepared for that having been a producer of a big group yeah but i mean talk about just the challenge of being a director and using all parts of the cranium at the same time
1: no it it is a super challenge and it and on a and on the higher the level, the higher the challenge, you know. If you're doing it for independent, you know, I know the independent filmmakers out there, even they don't doing it with their iPhones, they understand that thriving challenge. But if you're doing it with multiple million dollars at risk, it's a bigger challenge. And uh, um, I do think working with the Wu and and knowing my brothers and all the times we spent together in the studio and some of the diplomacy that we had to strike – and reach in order to complete complete projects did give me some preparation, but also I was blessed with a great journey, ToRay. Right? Meaning I was blessed with a journey through the music industry, you know, which some people call you know a shady business, right? Uh, Q-Tips saying industry rule, uh, four thousand eighty <laughs> record company, people record, are shady. shady. Yeah, so so you think about an industry like that, um, and you make it through that industry uh, successfully, and you. You know, I was fortunate to have a good executive like Steve Rifkin, who was able to l- allow my creativity to move unhindered. Luckily to have success, blessed to have success. But then when I joined uh, the Hollywood world, I entered through Jim Jarmusch, who, uh, Great who who hired me to score his film Ghost Dog. And I didn't know how to score films. You read the the, the interviews of Jim Johnmuth, he's like, Rizzo would bring me music at 2 a.m. in a black van, him and Dirty with a couple of 40 ounces just give him the dat or something, which was how I did it, (laughs) right? I didn't know while sitting in front of the monitor and working. It wasn't until we did Kill Bill that Quentin, you know, uh, it was mandatory that I stayed in the editing room and I worked. So the editing room was, was my office, you know what I mean?
0: And I spent forty-five days in there just doing what i was supposed to do. And what you're supposed to do is is watch the scene, yeah, and and vibe off of it and create the sound, rather than yeah, and, sit in the recording studio and just think of something.
1: Yeah, and it's and it's and it's a few more levels than that too, because there's a, there's all kinds of like there's a first thing they're gonna do is give you a spotting session. What is that? Right. So a spotting session is all the points in the movie where the director feels that there should be music. Okay. And that's the first spotting session. Then there's a second spotting session. And that may end up, you may have 100 different cues. And then you got to know the cue numbers. You got to know your scene numbers. I mean, it's it's, it, uh, it's it's really three people that that should be on your team. And then after that, it's music editing. You know what I mean? Then it's edited because if one frame of the film is changed because let's say the movie was two hours and three minutes and now we don't, you want to lose three minutes. That changes the whole synchronization. So that changes how the score, your cue points changes. Anyway, going through that process, right, and then getting blessed with, uh, with Harvey, Harvey Weinstein, recognizing that I had a, a natural acting talent, and he gave me a call and asked me to, to join his film, uh, Derailed. And the director, Michael Hofstra, uh, who's not an American director, a Swedish director, a very good director, he's like, okay, this kid has something. You know,
0: you do have something because I saw you in Ghost Dog. Um, I think that was the first time I saw you in a film, mm. and you just walk down the street right toward Forrest Whitaker's character. And Ghost Dog's incredible movie. You didn't have any lines. Just one line, right? Right. You just yeah. right, but but there was a presence. Mm. Well, thank you. That just just emanated, and you know, I just wonder how you learn to create that to emit that. How well do, you do I,
1: that? I don't I don't know if you learned that, you know, that's something I don't know if if I think you can learn it, but I won't I can't def, I can't identify where I've learned that at, you know what I mean? I don't know if you're born under the sign or if you
0: So what do you do to get ready for the moment uh when you're about to act?
1: Well, well, after getting like I said, after having what you call a natural thing that they saw in me, you know, just like me with music, I didn't know what a C chord was but I went back and learned the theory of music. So after I did Derailed, and I think it was Coffee and Cigarettes, which was, once again, we were just improvising, improvising. And that circulated that movie actually circulated through Hollywood as yo, this kid right here, this guy right here. And that led to them, led them casting me for American Gangster. And so but when I got to American Gangster, uh, before I got to there, I started taking coaching lessons. Uh, I got a couple of books on acting to understand the the beat and the tempo. And it takes time to get that muscle right. You know what I mean? But the point I'm driving at is after composing, after acting, now I've been in the post-production and I've been in front of the camera. And after being one of the greatest directors of our generation and learning how he viewed things, how he's dissecting things, six years later, I was ready to step to the plate with the man with the iron fist.
0: What does eating healthy mean to you? From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, I'm curious, when you started learning music theory, did you find that you had already figured a lot of that stuff out on your own, or did it change you as a musician and a producer?
1: Uh, it changed me in a sense of the logic. I' be probably became more logical but I'm probably better not being logical <laughs> you, know <what> I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean you know what I mean you think of a song like uh the Ruck is, is it has a great structure but there's no logical chord progression right in what's happening you write it out <laughs> you know even even as I composed one of my co-composers was like Bobby you're changing keys and you change keys twice in the middle of the freight in the middle of the uh, progression. Like, yeah i said yeah but forget the logic of it the emotion of it <laughs>
0: right right, <laughs> and, right right and
1: and that's what i i did learn that without knowing theory that the emotion is the most important thing that music can invoke that's why method that man had the verse wu-tang be wu-tang clan b attacking your emotions moving on the left south pole mr meth like so the th- the thing about us is is to attack the emotion, whether it's anger, whether it's pain, whether it's hunger, whether it's sadness, whether it's excitement. We we strive to, uh, to attack your emotion.
0: What you talk about the record business being shady. One of the most incredible things y'all did is the way you freaked the business. Um, you you came in as a group, and you you were very intelligent in saying we want the ability to go sign to whatever label we want. And you created this sort of octopus with ma- with long tentacles thing where, you know, Wu-Tang is here, but then you're also getting the Def Jam promotion and you're also getting the Loud Records promotion. You're also getting the Sony over here. And, yeah. you know, I mean it, it was like you're spreading the flag further and further. How did you guys, how did you get the industry to even give you a deal where, okay, we'll let y'all leave the label for nothing and go <laughs> somewhere else?
1: Well, nowadays that won't happen because they have what is called a 360-degree deal. Right, That's right, like, right. I call it the counter Wu-Tang deal. Right. It's like it's a counter move to the Wu-Tang <laughs> deal. It'll
0: never happen again.
1: No, but actually, if you think about the industry over whole, or as a whole and what it did for the industry, it was actually a smart move by the industry, too. Of course, it was unique. You know, Steve Rifkin at the time, and me and him talk about it, and we laugh about it now as, as buddies, you know, and going through our midlife. And it's like he didn't have a lot of money even though you know a lot of us may think that the executive has a lot of money cuz he's an executive but he don't have a lot of money he has to go get the money from somewhere else you know what i mean <laughs> but you don't know that all you know is that, hey this guy got the money right but um he told me he didn't have the the kind of money that i needed to to run my organization you know what i mean and i was like okay i'll take the power i'll take the outlet you know what i mean it's kind of like how how Tony Montana talked to Sosa you know, he was like, Yo, he made the deal with Sosa, even though when he got back, he they didn't he couldn't you know, they didn't have the money for the deal. But he knew that with hard work and with the proper outlet, he'll make money. So when I told Steve Rifkin, I was like, uh, you know, just give us the ability to, to hustle elsewhere.
0: At the end of the day. Did he say yes to that right away or did he say
1: no at first? No, Steve, to my memory, said yes. Yeah. Steve, if you ever talk to Steve about me, I think Steve would say that his secret was always saying yes to Rizza. In a sense, that he said that this guy, he, he saw, I want to say this out loud, he saw a young man that was focused. He saw a young man that kept his, would write down everything on a pad before we had phones, right? I'll write it down. I'll list it out. I would think about it. You know what I mean? I would take that list, go back, and come back with the list, with the items completed. You know what I mean? He, he seen a young man that would be up to four in the morning, and still make the seven eight a.m. meet or be late for the meeting, but make the meeting, <laughs> you know what I mean, and be there, focus, uh, no sleep, but but with the idea, with the movement, with the plan, he saw that, and he and he 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 invested in that, you know what I mean. He didn't put, he wasn't allowed, he didn't at the time have the money to put in my hand. A lot of people don't know that first Wu Tang album the budget was $60,000. What? The first Wu-Tang album. <laughs>
0: How do you make that?
1: Exactly. You make that by nobody gets money on that. Right. It's a, it's nobody gets money on that. It's not until the solo deals come in that money starts coming into the company and coming into us. You know what I mean? But the beauty of it is that after we had a success and after we proved this theory that I had in my heart, this gut feeling that I knew that this was what it was, After we proved it to be true, the second Wu-Tang album was—you can't even say ten times, twenty times, thirty times, forty times, fifty times, (laughs) sixty times—I could keep going—of the profit. Of the first album comes out, the second album comes out, right, and ships two million units in a week, at 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 twenty-five dollar wholesale. That's fifty million dollars made in a week off an album. Alright? That's the investment of what sixty thousand dollars did. And not counting the four million units that Def Jam had already done and the million that Geffen had did and the million that Requin had did and the million two that that Ghost had did and plus and the, what happened and, with
0: your touring. Yeah, not right? not, not you were able it, to
1: not not counting all that. Right? And so so the beauty of it was you had an executive who actually trusted in the artistic vision of an artist. He never came to the studio and was like, do this or change this or change that. Well,
0: how could you? You guys were doing something sonically so different than everyone else. I mean, if he signed you, he just got to let you do what you do because—
1: But that doesn't happen a lot in our business. True, that, true. That's actually one of the biggest hindrance of the music industry is the clone effect.
0: So let's talk a little bit about chess because you're an extraordinary chess player, so I hear. I won't say extraordinary, but I I got some victories. (laughs) Talk about uh, your style on a chess board. What what are you trying to do? Well, I'm trying to win, right? Right, but I mean, (laughs) how uh, do you get there?
1: Well, it varies, you know. Uh, I think chess is a a reflection of your emotional state. You know what I mean? If I'm in a real comfortable, confident state, based on whatever I felt that day or that month, uh, that's my style of playing. If I'm very cautious and reserved and I'm into a meditative state, that's the style I play. Uh, I've learned, you know, like most of the times I lose in a game of chess is, is on the clock. And I've realized in my life that time has always been my biggest enemy. You know what I mean? You know, just time, it could be every man's enemy, but I definitely know that time has been, enemy of minds in a sense that uh you know it's never enough
0: <laughs> i mean do you prefer and maybe this will be situational but do you prefer to attack with the uh with the knight or the bishop it, or- well, it
1: depends like look okay let's say she was okay let's say she was a couple of chess masters who i love bobby fisher right no doubt love bobby fisher okay uh, he had a strong attacking game, right? He, he, he'll do the bishop opening and they'll change it. They, they got 50 names for it but by the, based on the variation. But Bobby Fischer, his, his attacking prowess was incredible. But when you go back and study some of those games, you see that there was flaws in them. So how was he able to win with a flaw in his movement? Because his determination was stronger. His will to win was stronger than the better opponent in some case. You know what I mean? and And so therefore, the energy of the person can sway the energy of the pieces mm. um because a the chest energy
0: of the, of the person can sway the energy of the yeah. pieces That's because
1: said. the person who's playing you is a is one chest they say a person who don't see it will never see it even though somebody on the sideline sees it but that person can't see it because there's something else happening something else is happening between the two. But I said one of the other thing they take a guy like uh Tao, right who's also known for attacking and he used to you know used to be down bobby right um his attacking style is very aggressive and and that's that style i was i was taught or coached on i i, I took the time to uh, there's a chess player international master named emery Tate he uh, he became a friend of mines. Uh, he was six-time military champion uh and when you look at when you look up Josh Wakens you know Josh Wakens Josh Wakens yeah yeah, yeah yeah when you look up his uh his uh his his 10 games they they always give you when you get chess master back when chess master was popular he has a game where he loses and that's to Emory Tate <laughs> right and so Josh and Emory both gave me great advice in chess Josh saw my style and gave me a, a opener he thought would fit me you know but emory saw that style of, that josh advised me on and, and gave me a uh, he told me i should actually be more like Tao because because that wu-tang clan nothing to fuck with style of mines he think you know he felt that, that was the best way for me to move because when wizard attacks it's hard to fucking defend that's what's up um
0: do you meditate
1: yeah, I meditate, but I I see meditation as this right now is meditating to me. Mm-hmm. You know, you know Bodhidharma, you know one of the founders of Shaolin who helped ex- you know expand Shaolin, and one of the fathers of martial art. Uh, he said you have still meditation when you sit and you think, but mm-hmm. you have moving meditation which mm-hmm. is kung fu. Mm-hmm. You know, he actually said when you think of Zen or Chan Buddhism, Zen means that you can become enlightened. Immediately, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. So when Buddha returned home after leaving his wife and kid for <laughs> mad years, right? He left his wife on when she gave birth, according to his history. Exactly, <laughs> but he comes home and they become enlightened instantaneously. Where some people, according to Buddhist doctrine, got to be born a thousand years to get this. So when you ask about meditation, most people think that it's about sitting still. And 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 you know, chanting and all that. Uh the contemplation is meditation. That's why Krishna gave us a great lesson. He said, uh a man can meditate for a month, it would not be as valuable as that man who contemplated for an hour.
0: It's amazing, you know, in this conversation you've talked about Krishna, Buddha, um, Islam, Christianity. You know, your study of spirituality is is broad, you know, and I love that. Um, Talk about how spirituality has helped you succeed in your businesses. I think a spiritual
1: foundation, which which uh, spirituality means, ality meaning like something in reality, something that's in action or recognizable. So to recognize that energy, uh, which also will be called mindfulness, mm-hmm. is vital. Uh, that's one of the missing ingredients, I think, of our political system. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because even when you think of all the old kings, they had spiritual advisors. On the chessboard, you have the bishop there. Mm-hmm. That represents the spiritual advisor. And you got, of course, you got the castle. The horse was the cannon or the warriors. You got your woman. You got your soldiers. Where's the spiritual advisor at? That's why I think we're missing our political system. They need to come higher to visit as their spiritual advisor. <laughs> if not me, somebody. Somebody. Show. But far as me, it's vitally important because that's the 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 thing that that actually allows us to understand each other. And what I mean by understand each other is like you gotta understand how the Hindu brothers feel. When they are praying and what they're thinking about, you got to understand how the Christian brother feels when he's praying and what he's thinking about. He's telling, he's talking to his children about. You got to understand how the Muslim brother feel. You got to understand how the Buddhist brothers feel. And when you get to the core of it, they all saying the same thing mm-hmm. at the core. So somebody come to me and say, and we get into an argument because he's like, "Eat me, son she. and the other guys like, "Under toi." The other guy's like, oh, no, door stress. And I'm like, one, two, three. And we arguing, arguing about who's right, who's wrong, and we all saying the same thing. Mm. You know what I mean? The men who live before us in this world have traveled great distances in their time on earth and their travels around the world, and they've documented it for us, yo. Yeah? There's no reason for me to touch a hot stove. Right. It's been touched.
0: What all right? Last bit. What books do you want the folks to read? If I was to advise books, uh,
1: I would have I would advise the Holy Quran, the Holy Bible, the Bhagavad Gita, and for Buddhism, I'm gonna say the Diamond Sutra. There's a lot of sutras, but I think the Diamond Sutra for today's man is good.
0: I'm so inspired after listening to RZA for an hour love what he said about leadership and being willing to put your people first love what he said about chess and that Tarantino story is crazy I can see him showing up to Quentin's mansion heart racing saying hey man I know we were supposed to meet about that thing but uh, we gotta do it later cause I gotta go kill somebody alright it's like a scene out of a Tarantino film if you wanna talk to me more about this episode or whatever I'm on Twitter at Torre. Toray's show is written by me Torre, and produced by Chris Colbert and executive produced by Morgan Spurlock in association with Cadence 13 Studios. We'll be back next week with more knowledge from successful folks because the man ain't shut us down yet. Check us out next Wednesday when my guest is the legendary poet Nikki Giovanni. You gotta hear her go ham on Trump. I don't understand, you know, fools like Trump and all of those people on this cabinet, those greedy racists on his cabinet who don't do anything but try to figure out how to make more money.